So we're reading about Lazarus. And this is a, a familiar story. If, if you've been with us um, since the beginning, we, we preached through the entire Gospel of John. Every verse we hit this. But, but what we're going to talk about this morning is that, that changed life. Last week, again, we, we laid the foundation of the Gospel. But now we start to see what does the Gospel do to a dead man's heart and soul. Well, it gives us life. So the main point we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus' Jesus's victory means life now. Jesus' victory means life now. And we're going to have three points to, to drive this home. That's lifeless, life, and living. Lifeless, life, and living. And that will drive home Jesus' victory means life now. And the, the reason this is so important for us to begin to grasp is because, is everybody breathing today? Hopefully we don't get a no because that would be a problem. But we've got a medic here. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to help you. I've got to identify where he is. Jeremy, yeah, there he is, trying to duck down. We need you, man. Like, if something goes, like, sideways, you're, you're there, okay? Otherwise, we're all just going to be like, or maybe there's someone else here that, like, can do something. But anyway, <laughs> glad to have you here. But we're all breathing, right? We're all breathing. Some of us are breathing spiritual breath because we've um, surrendered our life to Jesus, meaning we've been born again, right? We've been saved by the good news of Jesus. And if you're breathing into your spiritual lungs, right, which were once dead apart from Jesus Christ, then you need to use that breath, you need to use that new life, since you've been born again, to go and to do the will of the Father. To go and to do the work of ministry that we've been given life to go and to do, which would be glorifying to God. So Jesus' victory means life now, Jesus' victory does not mean life later. Jesus' victory does not mean we, we get to start our new life at um, the end of this one. It means we get to see it in its fullness at the end of this one, but we get to experience it and enjoy it and be it now. It means we get to overcome our sin now. We talked last week about being, being freed from the bondage of our sin, but, but little do we know, because we don't like to, to, to go to the next verse, myself included, is that in Romans when it says we're free from sin, we're, we're no longer bound to sin, it says that we're bound to God. We're in bondage to God, meaning He has like, freed us from this to bring us over here and to be His. To do His will, to do what He has called us to do, to do exactly what we were created to do and to be before the fall. First point, lifeless. Lifeless. We look here in, in John chapter 11 and we see this lifelessness. We see this lifelessness within our own selves before we knew Jesus. We see a little bit of it even after we know Jesus because we still experience some of our sinful, depraved nature. But it's this waging war, right? That we're, we're trying to fight off the desires of our flesh and to walk in the Spirit. But we see this story of Lazarus is very much connected to us and the experience that we have when Jesus saves us, when He calls us, right? That we were dead. So we see this physical resurrection of Lazarus, but it's very much applicable to us today if you are indeed born again a believer in the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Which, let me note here. Deeply moved again. Jesus was upset not simply because his friend had died. Right? We often talk about like, Jesus wept. Jesus wept because his people, and, and he was upset about this. Yes, Lazarus was his friend, but he was upset because they were questioning him and his power and why these things would happen. And, and do you really have the ability? Then Jesus deeply moved again. Verse 38. Came to the tomb. It was... 
uh, came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for it has been, he has been dead four days, lifeless. Like, we know this, right? We, we know this from experience. Um, I, I've seen some, some funerals get pushed back like an entire week, and you're like, like even me, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go. Like, Mom, like we should, we should get Nana there like as soon as possible. Right, because things are going to happen, and obviously it's not the same today as it was back then, because we've got people to do their job, take care of things. But for them, it was understood through the Old Testament and even Jewish customs that after three days, the body became corrupt. You wouldn't be able to to recognize a person. So it notes here, Martha does. It's been four days he's been dead. Four days. His body has experienced corruption. He's not just lifeless. He's He's literally useless and and degrading, right? He's decaying. Not good. She says, he's been dead. Like, just, there's no way we should open up this tomb. We're going to smell it. We're going to see it. Being a sister, you don't want to see that. Ephesians, Paul paints this picture for us that we too were in the state of Lazarus apart from Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were like, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So he's speaking to Saved people, born again people, people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. We say saved, born again, regenerated, right? Those people, today if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? You've surrendered your life to Him. And this is who He's talking. He's talking to believers. And He's saying, you were once dead. Showing that we've all been there. So don't get too proud this morning, and don't get too low, we'll get to the life part. But we were in the same state as Lazarus spiritually, even though we're breathing into our physical lungs, our spiritual lungs apart from Christ are collapsed and useless, dead, rotting, corrupt, beyond the three-day period. And it shows us that we are lifeless without Christ. And this points us to our need for Jesus, that, that Jesus gives victory, but, but we only find life in Jesus. Point number two, life. This idea of regeneration. What happens? What is, it, what is it that comes about that makes a dead person come alive? It's Jesus. What does Jesus do here? Let's look at verse 43 of John chapter 11. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, if you can imagine being there, like being one of the apostles or disciples, and it's like, all right, like Jesus keeps pushing the envelope. He's getting, like, for, like he's doing all these miracles, but now he's about to bring a dead man out of this tomb. And he doesn't say, anyone who's in there, come out. If you happen to hear my voice, come out. He, he directs it. He effectually calls his brother Lazarus out of the grave. He says, Lazarus, come out. 
He takes what was corrupt according to custom, according to um, the Old Testament. Corrupt, useless, dead, no hope. And he gives him life. He calls him out. And what's it say? He says, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Reviving what was dead and broken and useless with no hope. It's not just Lazarus. It's every bit of humankind. Mankind, apart from Jesus, dead, in need. Any car people here? Like, you like working on cars? Like, you're not like the Cars TV show, right? The kids are out of here for the most part, right? Like, Cars, okay, just, just Matt Atzma, is that it? No one else? No. You've got to teach us something, man. I don't know what's going to happen when the apocalypse comes and none of us can work on cars. You're going to be in, you're going to have a job. Gary can start bartering some food for you um, for some work on his cars. So, car people are interesting to me. No offense, Matt. Because you spend so much time, you look at like a broken project. And I've been looking at some different projects and I'm like, I feel like I would rather just get something new. But the beauty in, in, in a mechanic, especially a car mechanic, is they'll take this, this old car and they begin to call it a project. And you know it gets serious when you call a car a project. Because a car is a car to me, right? It's not a project. But you start calling a car a project. But I love the joy that a mechanic finds when he finally, after all the work that he's done, is taking this, this useless piece of junk car, usually an old Volkswagen, and you crank up that bug and and it like kicks on and it's like, whoa, that's sweet, right? The joy in taking something that was broken and useless, probably in a junkyard, and you take it and you revive it, and though it has the same frame, every bit of the inside has been made new and it doesn't run the same. And there's this story about this guy too that, that really paints this picture for us. He was well overweight, he didn't live a healthy lifestyle, did whatever he wanted, and he needed a heart transplant. He's like on his last limb. And he gets this heart transplant. And he finds out that the guy that gave him his heart transplant, that he unfortunately lost his life, but was able to, to give up his heart through um, donation, right? Organ donation. And we see from that story, this man found out that this guy lived a healthy, active lifestyle. And he said, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. This man's heart lives inside of me. Something has to change. So he went on and, and since then has lost a, a ton of weight, and has, has devoted his life to healthy living, and now runs marathons, and he does it in the name of this guy who left his heart behind. Church, if we understand the life that we've been given in Jesus, that we were lifeless apart from him, we too, being born again, will go and live like him who has given us his spirit. You see... Jesus' victory means life now. Jesus didn't say you'll go on to do greater things than the things I've done because we're going to sit here and be quiet and, and frozen within the church. We are the church to go out to live life on mission because we've been born again. Because we were dead and have been given life, we go and live like it. We go and use these new lungs filled with, with breath and joy because of the Lord who saved us from our depraved mind and flesh. And we praise his name through active obedience because we've been born again, because we've been saved, because we've been regenerated. We have to begin to grasp this. 
We have to begin to understand this truth within the gospel. Is that if indeed we've been saved, we ought to live like it now, not later. The things, the best is yet to come, church, but, but that saying never said that there aren't good things here. Never said that, that we, we will be sinless, right? After this life, when we receive our glorified bodies, we'll go and dwell and commune with the Lord for all of eternity. But it did not mean that we have to give into our sin now. It did not mean that we did not have the power to overcome it now. We don't. But the, the spirit that has been sent to dwell inside of you sure does have the power. Sure does have the wisdom that we need. The whole you have not because you ask not is not applied to, to, I wish I got that Christmas bonus. I guess I should ask and then I'll receive. But it does very much apply to spiritual wisdom and guidance and power to overcome the things that, that seem to, to bind us in shackles and chains. But when we understand the gospel, we realize we're free from that to live for Jesus. Because of Jesus' victory, we live now. It doesn't just start after we breathe our last breath in these physical broken lungs. We are to praise His name. We are to do good works according to His will and His word for our good and for His glory. When we receive that life, when we've been born again, we will move on to a healthy way of living. We'll go out and live. Point number three, living. Lazarus was, was to go and live now. He doesn't say, all right, Lazarus, I made my point. Get back in there, man. Like, you freaked them all out. i got to send another angel to calm them down, right? That's not what it says. In verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. He's not done. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It was the people's job to, to make him clean, get him Release him. Let him go. He's alive. I made him alive. And the good news that we see in Ephesians, that when we see this regeneration, is that we go on to live according to, to God's word and his will. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, lifeless, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. To go live now. To go and to do now because you've been born again. You see, spiritually, we don't see it. We, we take the things that we can't see and just think, like, it's hard to understand. I, I don't see it. God's not, like, hovering over my shoulder, even though he's dwelling inside of you if you're a believer. And we just, we neglect it. Church, you're not alone. Me too. Because we don't see it. Because, because we're not hearing the ringing in our ear, but probably feeling the conviction in our heart. We just neglect it. But we are to go and to live. And do according to his word. None of us, none of us would be in Akron, Ohio, fall dead and have Brother Jeremy come and revive us. Literally bring us back to life and be like, man, I cannot like, wait to do that again. Like, that was heck of a time. Like, we're probably going to be like, I'm going to avoid whatever caused that. I'm going to run from it. 
I'm going to go and, and change some, some habits. I'm probably just not going to go around that part. I'm just going to change some things. I don't want to experience that again. And if you do, you're one of those people that's on the Red Bull channel. Like, just like getting as close as you can to like death and like that's cool for you. But for us, if we understand that Jesus took our dead soul and made it alive, being born again, regenerated, renewed, made alive. We talk about all these things, neglecting the fact that without Jesus, that would have never happened. Talks about, paints this picture of us being dead, but now made alive. How beautiful. How great. And because we're born again, Paul gives us clear instructions in Galatians 5.16. We can overcome our sin, but how? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't want to do the, the desires of our flesh? Walk by the Spirit. John Owen says this. He says, do not seek to empty your cup as a way to avoid sin, but rather seek to fill it up with the Spirit of life so there is no longer room for sin. See, a lot of us, we just like to, to clean out the closet and get rid of the baggage while leaving the entire room empty and ready to be filled with temptation, sin, whatever it might be, whatever your crutch is. And then saying, like, I can't do anything. I just, I've got this problem and I'm not going to be able to take care of it. Kick the crutch out with the Spirit of God and say, I'm going to overcome it because He gave me His Spirit to be able to do so. We can overcome it. Don't be deceived this morning or by the world, church. You can and you will overcome your sin. Because you've been born again and you've been given the Spirit of God to dwell inside of you, to guide you. Jesus calls Him our helper. I'm always looking for a helper. Like, literally, don't like doing things alone. Like, Helper for anything. I like had uh, Matt Atzma come and help me with the trim, and I'm pretty sure I could have YouTubed it, but I'm like, I also want it to look good, and I don't want to do it alone. And he came, and he like just stood there and told me what to do, and I'm like, all right, like whatever. I'm not doing it alone. Can't do it alone sometimes, right? Like it just might hurt myself, right? I don't know how to use a hammer. That's what I'm getting at. So I need help with, with tools and stuff. But we don't like, and we're not created to do things alone. So, so church, begin to, to confess your sins to one another. In our groups, find the people. If, if you don't want to be vulnerable within a group setting of 10, find the individual that you can grow with and you can share things with. That if you're a guy, please make it a guy. If you're a girl, please make it a girl. It's like not get personal, deep, and intimate with the opposite sex unless you're like dating. Right? You're like, okay, I'm dating, we're getting to know one another, we're confessing. Please don't do that. Find a guy, guys, and start to, to talk and to communicate. Look, we all like to be the, the, the goat, we all like to be the alpha male, but it's okay to, to calm down a little bit every now and then and be like, brother, I need help. This life's tough. I know I'm born again, I, and, and I know that I can overcome it, but I need help. We need to stop just just picturing that this idea of sanctification and being made into the likeness of God will begin to take place at the end of this life when it's going to happen here and now. Because Jesus' victory, because of Jesus' victory, church, life starts now. Because you've been born again, and as we consider these things, we approach the Lord's table remembering what He's done. That's why everything is built on the gospel. Everything is changed because of the gospel. 
Everything we do is reflective of the gospel. Whether or not we realize it, our lack of faith is reflective of the gospel in a poor way. When we go out and we live according to our own way, it reflects the gospel in a poor way. It hurts our witness. It doesn't stop what God will do in that person's life, but it does very much show them whether or not we trust God. So as we approach the table, we remember what Jesus did for us, taking our dead souls and making it alive, making us born again, regenerating our hearts. And we're going to take communion this morning, and and I want to mention this as, as we always do. This is a sacred time at the Lord's table, and it's for believers. If you're here, it's your first time, but you know that you're a believer, we, we encourage you, come take it. If you're not a believer, just withhold. Come talk to one of the pastors here this morning. We'd love to talk to you about our relationship with Jesus. But if you're not a believer, you should refrain from partaking until you come to faith in Jesus. And then joyfully partake along with the body of Christ. We encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is harboring unrepentant sin, refrain until you can come freely to partake. As the bread and the cup are served, we ask that you hold on to them so that we can all partake together. Nelson, Ben, whoever was going to come up, you can go ahead and come back up. Didn't know you were sitting in the back. I should have given you like a five-minute warning. And church, Nelson's going to play a little bit of music, and you can come up, and we just ask if it looks like it's like congested up here, then um, just wait. We're not going to start without you. We will not do this without you. But examine your heart. We all know that we're unworthy, right? But what that does, what, what Paul means when he talks about this, is approaching it in a worthy manner, is repent. If there's someone here that, that you know that you've offended this week, I would encourage you to get uncomfortable and go talk to them. Maybe they're the ones sitting beside of you. Spouses, we aggravate each other all the time, but examine your heart and take care of that. Communion causes us to confront that. As we remember what Jesus did for us, we have to confront our own sin. We have to confront our own flesh.